Hello everyone and welcome to another episode, a special episode of Coming Together, a project where we talk about and explore various issues of social cohesion. Um, I think this episode is a special one because it's a bonus episode and we will be talking with um, a guest today and I'll uh, start with introductions in a bit. Um, with me here we have um, Shan Bang who is a photographer and co-collaborator for this social project. So Shan Bang, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, hi everyone. And of course, we have our guest, uh, Maria Iseva, who is an art director currently based out of Bangkok, um, but who has been living in Singapore um, for close to two decades um, until recently. Uh, Maria, great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. Awesome. Right. So let's get to the crux of it. Um, so Maria, as you know, and as we've been, you know, um, corresponding over emails and chats, um, a lot of our conversations as part of this project has been about um, understanding various social issues vis-a-vis -vis, um, cultural integration and, of course, you know, the, um, the local and foreigner divide that we see often. And I think, you know, having you here is super interesting because I've read about you before and, um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, you could tell us a little bit about yourself before we talk about that. I mean, I, I don't know what you read about me, but hopefully it's <laughs> interesting. Well, I was lucky to grow up in Singapore since I was 12 years old, and I went to all the local schools. Mm -hmm. And then my first job was in Singapore as well. I mean, all the stuff in between, you know, it's called life, mm -hmm. and we're just trying not to die most of our life, and people are just looking to reproduce but everything else in between is is life growing up and finding a job and going to the dentist so very grateful for that it's been interesting because only when I grew up a little you know I think after 25 or something I started thinking about really where I belong to and not just leaving Singapore that made me question that but I've constantly been questioning that and like Pico Iyer has said you know Home is not a piece of soil, it's a piece of soul, mm -hmm. which is what kept me very long in Singapore because my friends and connections are there. My family, family friends, I call them family. Well said, Maria. Um, for those who are listening for context, uh, Maria Iseva was subject of an article by Rice Media sometime in May this year um, where um, the article talks about, you know, having lived in Singapore for so long and... Um, you know, for various reasons, she had to leave. So it comes in an interesting time when, because of the pandemic and perhaps before that, there has been a long brewing conversation about um, uh, immigration in general and also about um, identity. And I think uh, the article, you know, where you were featured, Maria, like, I think captures that really well in the sense, like, what is identity in the sense, you know, you pointed out earlier that, you know, home is a piece of soul. And while that in spirit is what it's about, oftentimes it is very much tied to, you know, the country you were born in and stuff. And could you tell us a little bit more about how you navigated that? Well, I think that a huge part of my life, uh, almost 20 years, I've been building a lot of meaningful relationships and friendships and as well as work was a big part of my life because we work long hours and, you know, they are like my second family. And I think now I'm actually trying to gravitate more towards the idea of home being a pair of my shoes. 
because of where I am and how I've never been able to have roots anywhere. And the only thing that um, the roots that I have are just, I'm walking around with these memories and I'm walking around with the connections and I'm very grateful for them. Uh, of course, Singapore has shaped me. Um, I am who I am because of her. And lately I'm thinking that actually where I belong and integration is actually more uh, about who you are, who you are, where you're from is about who you are as a person, what's inside of you, meaning even it could be, you know, I started questioning like, you know, my stomach likes spicy food. So maybe I'm, my stomach is from Thailand. Um, my soul and spirit or my, the way I think and the way I work is from Singapore because of, I've been surrounded in these environments and maybe my Zen or my peace is somewhere in Japan because I also used to live there for a while, you know? So actually, even if you ask a question, what makes a Singaporean or it's hard to answer, right? And it's more about what kind of traits do you have that make you feel belong? I, I don't know if I answered your question. Uh, no, I think you did. You did it well. So uh, it's it's an interesting question um, and answer, uh, Maria, because it's it's a question that I often try to understand also. Um, for context, I have been living in Singapore for 10 years. And while I do consider Singapore home, and just like you said, uh, you know, I, I made friends here, I found love here, I, you know, found purpose here. And so by those metrics, I would definitely consider Singapore home. But I think there is also a larger conversation about who gets to say that they've integrated, especially in recent times. Um, there seems to be certain metrics that society um, uses to judge whether someone deserves to call, um, you know, this island uh, home. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm still struggling with it. I don't understand it yet. And I try to have many conversations with a lot of my friends, both local and foreign, and I'm not sure we have any answers yet. Um, Shanbang, do you want to pitch in? Mm, yeah, okay. So, I mean, really what makes someone Singaporean is tricky because I would say most people would go towards food, you know, because it's easy. It's something identifiable. But then when you go really deeper or like they could say culture or multiracial society, but that's not really something that is strictly just Singapore has. Other Plenty of other countries has it. So if you really dive deep into Singapore, I think it's very difficult to find something that is uniquely ours. Well, uh, no, that's a good point, Shenbang. Uh, and of course, look, of, of the three of us here, I'm the one who has lived here the shortest. So, um, you know, uh, Maria, you lived here for a much longer time. Like, what was Singapore like back then? Were these conversations that you had when you, you know, started living here? You know, questions about identity. Actually, I think food is actually, I do think uh, food can be a very big part of culture. I, I feel that food connects you on a DNA level because you share the same meal. And as you eat it during at the same time, you're consuming these things, right? And it becomes part of the, your DNA, the conversations. I, be, I do believe there is a scientific explanation behind, you know, people sharing the same ideas people who, who eat the same food. Um, there is a very interesting uh, way to talk about food, but I think like growing up, 
um, it was very different because I think Singapore is changing very rapidly and maybe that is why it's so hard to put a finger on like what makes a Singaporean. There are some things that stayed the same, but there are some things that I saw changing uh, and and I, I like the change that I see and that's awesome. But I mean, when I was growing up in schools, it was really hard for me to find friends. People would... Um, they wouldn't be, you know, this is again, like, I always wondered if integration is actually a one-way street. Because you try and you try, but it may not be reciprocal or you may not, you know, you're still like a, sh like a black sheep, you know, you are not really being received the way you want to be seen. And it, you have to explain yourself a lot and that is where the cultural change began, you know, by making mistakes, by adapting, like, okay, I'm sorry, I didn't know I can't use my uh, left hand, you know, to eat my food. Or, you know, these little things is by making mistakes and really failing until you understand that this is different cultures. And that that was a process that I came across when I was much younger. And then when I moved to, like, when I started looking for a job and, you know, like there was been instances where I understand that, um, you know, there was like somebody who declined me in a creative industry, a job because he said he did not know how the team would feel having an Ang Mo on the team. Wow. And I tried, Whoa. I tried not to, I tried not to judge because Singapore has taught me to be open-minded and to understand that he also has interests of his team. He feels that maybe his team was not equipped having a foreigner and they are not really sure how to have, you know, I am not judging because if I had someone that I didn't know very well or I didn't know much about them, uh, maybe, you know, it's, I'm just trying to see from his perspective why he said that because that's kind of stuck with me. And um, there are things like that. And I had to integrate. I had to move on and, you know, find another way. And that's... Yeah. Wow. Okay. That story is a little. No, I feel like more Singaporeans now are actually aware and educated in a way that they are questioning the right things, and they're like, "Sorry, could you repeat that? Mm. Did you just really mean that?" You know, they are they are making these shifts, especially in the art community. They are finding ways to to question these things and to start conversations about, you know, these are prejudice, um, judgmental things that we should be careful about saying and. Even when I came to Singapore as a kid, I was dividing people by race. I did not know because it's common for where I come from. We have a huge, like we have 11 time zones and people come from all over the world to live in Russia. So people would naturally say it. But then I realized that if you do not think twice about uh, saying it in Singapore, people might get offended. You might not be, you need to be more sensitive. You need to be maneuver around. Um, but I think now the positive change they see people are questioning more and more. They're interrogating the moral, their moral compass is shifting mm -hmm. somewhere. Absolutely. That's something that I've noticed too. Um, I've often struggled with um, the constant racialization of everything. Um, everything always has like a race ascribed to it. For example, if I do something, there are enough people who say, oh, is it an Indian thing? And I'm like, really? You know, it's a person thing. But uh, I've, you are right, Maria. I think I am seeing a certain uh, you know shift in that kind of mentality. And that's pretty great. Although I have to say that since you were talking about, you know, living in a pre-internet time, I suppose, you know, the, the mid-2000s and stuff. Um, has wh What has been the, the largest shifts you've seen 
uh, between now and then? In terms of um, social? Yeah, society um, outlook. I think it's easier to start a conversation for with people to just have a casual talk. It's much easier to... Um, in the past, I tried to make a lot of friends, and I was a little weird in a way that I tried to add everyone on MSN Messenger. Oh, and okay, to... <laughs> okay. <Nice laughs> and classic. it became a little bit weird. I okay. think people were like, why is she so overly friendly? But I'm like, because I want to find out about your culture and what I want to brainstorm things. And, I... and they were like, you're a little weird. Like, you added the whole class. <laughs> you should not do that. And then now I see that people are showing into, they're asking like about culture, they're asking about they're more interested in other people's roots, you know, where they come from. And that is what I see. It's much easier to connect with people, much easier to discuss some things that were a gray area mm -hmm. without being weird. Right. Wow. MSN, those days take me back. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When, when social media was simpler back then. Yeah. Or at least like limited, yeah. No, that's fair. And but I dare say that social media has also helped with building such connections, right? For example, the three of us wouldn't be talking right now if it weren't for us, you know. Yeah, um, true. Having true. this, so yeah. um, no, that's Thank yeah. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was okay. Um, so I, uh, Maria, please stop me if this is an uncomfortable question. But um, in the uh, Rice Media article, you know, they talked about, uh, you know, uh, the, the number of times that you've applied for permanent residency in Singapore and you have been rejected a number of times. And uh, last year was uh, the final straw, if you will. Um, yeah, go on. Yes, I've applied actually before leaving, uh, before taking the job in Bangkok. Uh, and it was the 10th time, although in my mind I've already made an, like I made my decision, you know, it's time to open up my mind and just like see what there is and take the opportunity. I was rejected, my 10th time was rejected about four months ago. And yeah, it's the same letter, the same template. It doesn't say the reason, it just says we regret to inform you. If any of your documents change, please apply again, something like that. and. Yeah, there was no reason. It's really hard mm -hmm. to they just don't give you the reason, right? It's you can't find out. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty rough, Maria. And in fact, you know, because of that Rice Media article, you have garnered a lot of sympathy. I think a lot of people were very, you know, sympathetic. Uh they they recognized that, you know, even after having lived here for so long and having kind of, you know, uh, immersed into local culture, you still haven't gotten uh, a permanent residency. Uh and it sucks. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that you know there's no um, transparent, not transparency. There's no uh, you know there's no reasons given, and I've tried to look at like whether reasons have been given at all. But as it turns out, it's just it's a very opaque black box of sorts. So um, I mean, some say it's a draw of the lot. Some say there are other reasons, but at this point, we don't really know. Well, all it takes is a whistleblower, right? Then people will know. Maybe there's yeah. like some internal like checklist for how people get accepted or not so there is one thing which was brought up uh in a recent podcast and uh, i pulled up the newsletter the, the news article about this so the minister grace Fu did mention in 2013 um that um immigration criteria uh you know is always about maintaining the the racial uh, balance uh, here so we know at least one reason 
you know, for whether immigration is considered. So there's definitely a sense of wanting to maintain that racial quota. And uh, unfortunately, in Maria's case, I think she would come under that vague other category in CMIO. So, um, yeah, I guess the, the stakes are much smaller for her then. It could be, you know, and what I find a little frustrating about the comments, like people that there is many people that send some a lot of love and sympathy and I would say empathy. And there is people who told me that I should just get married and I would really want to ask them, why don't you say that to your child? You know, mm. why do you think that I should put my life like just simply like how are you adding value to marriage or are you devaluing it because of uh, a place where I feel home? Because it's. I don't feel that is a good reason and it should not be a joke. It's either a really mm. bad joke or it's a really bad joke, you know, asking someone to get married to, because yes, I know people do that, but you, you have to meet someone that you want to build with and it's life. You can't force things. And, um, there's also a lot of stigma with Russian women, you know, they, I cannot say it's been easy for being like a Russian woman with a Russian passport where everyone constantly questions your intentions and agenda. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, like, are you trying to date my son because you want his passport? You know, that kind of... Whoa. Uh, th this, this, is... I mean, they don't ask you directly, but it's yeah. very subtle. Yeah, right? yeah. It's yeah. very subtle. Actually, actually, I find it ironic because those people that would have said, why don't you just get married? I would say, ironically, they would be the ones who actually would probably view marriage as like something important. They wouldn't just say like, hey, yeah, it's just because marriage of convenience is actually not exactly legal, right? Because like the yeah, government will send people to check on you. Yeah. To yeah. see if you are actually, you know, like because people, I think I've heard or read about reports of people trying out with PTO, but they, they will try and make sure that, oh, you're not just getting married just to make sure you get your HDB flat, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, Anecdotal yeah. evidence. Wow. Um, yeah. Maria, like, how do you respond to that? I mean, I'm just curious. Like, well, I just uh, convert everything into humor, and I'm like, sure, only three, three more years, and then uh, I'm going to find someone else. Uh, <laughs> like, what? Like, I just oh, gosh. make it like a joke, you know. I tried to just swallow it like that guy who told me that he doesn't know what the team will be, how the team will respond to an Angmo. I just like, okay. <laughs> and then I'm going to send more emails. <laughs> so it's just uh, a thing, you know, and it doesn't matter whether it's Singapore, it's everywhere. It's um, unfortunately, people think like that. Mm -hmm. And it's changing because I've been working since I was 16. I've been uh, interning and working during my holidays in the same industry, right? Teaching art and doing like events, creative events, hosting and curating. Like I've been working all my life. I never had to like, you know, go and look for a man to like marry and take care of me. Mm. And if I, yeah, I do not know whether they have good intentions when they offer me to get married for citizenship. Yeah, I think it's a tricky one to untangle, right? Because on the one hand, perhaps it's born of good intentions and it's probably from a time that they felt that it was an okay thing to do, but obviously times have changed and perhaps their mindsets haven't. And I think it's an interesting point that you uh, mentioned, Maria, you know, about, you know, stereotyping and how people, you know, 
stereotype. And I, I think we all do. In fact, I myself, you know, tend to make decisions based on what I think is happening and stuff. We all tend to make patterns. That's very human of us. Um, and I guess it's, I don't know, like, are you, would you, would you say that like Singapore has been uh, kind to you uh, in terms of being stereotyped often? I think Singapore has been awesome because people are very careful about, like now, I see it now more than when I was in school because children, when they're young, they don't know how to conceal such things. They just ask you mm. directly, mm. right? Um, but when I was growing up, I think it became a lot more elegant and also people were more interested in my culture. They wanted to find out more where I come from or they, when they heard that I grew up here, they, they, they wanted to know what makes me me, how much Singaporean am I? And then I start speaking English with them. And then, yeah, I think when I was growing up, children are generally, they don't know how to conceal certain uh, point of view. They're just asking you straight to your face. Mm -hmm. Um, and I cannot blame them, but I think today people are a lot more aware and open-minded and they ask me about my culture. They want to share experiences. They want to collaborate. They're like, you know, even that's why I started doing some Russian projects, Russian related, you know, and because I grew up here, I thought it was an interesting fusion, right? Um, I don't, the question was, you asked me, sir, what was the question? Um, it's like, was, you know, uh, was it better then? Uh, I mean, was it, is it better now than then uh, in terms of, you know, being stereotyped? I think it's definitely better. Um, it's definitely better not just towards myself, but I see my friends and everyone else being treated better. But of course, there are areas that need more in-depth um, scrutiny. Um I think because my environment changed, right? Uh, so I think generally people are a lot more elegant in the way they communicate. So I don't experience any kind of bias or anything except for that some some parts, you know, in the industry or something like uh, people would come to my desk and be like, how do you get this job? <laughs> Show me your portfolio. Uh, <laughs> and like, <right. laughs> like, Seriously, I went through like seven interviews and, and, and the HR and you come to my desk and you ask me how I got the job. <laughs> I mean, it's very subtle. It's very elegant and cunning. They do it, but it's um, everywhere, you know, it's yeah. everywhere. I cannot just spin it to Singapore. Yeah, no, of course. I think that's something that we've been noticing all across the board, right? I think especially we're living in a time where like at least 40% of the population are considered mobile right? The age group between 20 and 40. Uh, you know, I think more countries have become multicultural, multi-ethnic. Uh, and I think these little issues are coming up because of it, right? And as you pointed out, Maria, it's not just Singapore, we're talking about countries like South Africa, Brazil, the US, Germany, Australia. And I think all of these issues are coming to the fore. I think we as humans, we are not capable of, or at least we struggle, you know, to... Um, how do I put this? Like, look past stereotypes. And I think it's an active process that we constantly need to um, improve on. Um, wow. Like, I, I still can't get past that story that you said about, uh, you know, your potential employer, you know, wondering whether you, you know, the team would be comfortable with having an Angmo in. 
It's uh, hopefully that's a, a minority and an exception versus the norm, yeah. I don't know. I don't judge him now. I'm just thought about it, and it's like it's been four years now, and I guess I am happy and grateful for the people I worked with. So you know, everything just happens. The stars align where I need to be. Mm -hmm. So I don't. Uh, I just don't think it's yeah. It's it made me feel uncomfortable. But again, like. Uh, there are many instances, you know, where I had to, and I'm sure everyone else that's trying to integrate, you have to kind of put your head down and um, understand where the person is coming from. Maybe they don't mean anything mean. They just don't know how to manage a person that they've never dealt with before because maybe their entire team is local. Um, one thing that I've learned in Singapore is, you know, you cannot expect anything. If you move to a country, like when I was in Bangkok, for example, I used to like think, oh, um, no one speaks, no one at the bank speaks English, no one at the post office speaks English. And then I was like, why would I need to speak? Why would they need to speak English? Mm -hmm. I am an immigrant. I'm in their country. And it's on my onus to take up the language and to figure it out. Because when they give you a Q number and they ask you to say it in Thai, they, they say it in Thai, you're like, I don't know what how to say 137 in Thai. So I'm like lost, you know, in the queue. And that's my, my, I, I have to integrate. I have to learn. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, the Thailand example is a good one because I think in most countries, uh, language proficiency is a key part of integrating, right? We can talk about Thailand, we can talk about Germany, and this is like a big part of whether you can talk to locals or not. I feel like because in Singapore, English is, you know, the, the lingua franca, um, I think the pressure to um, learn another language is lesser. And therefore, most people also do not even take that extra step to integrate because they're like, oh, it's easy. And um, and I think we also have to recognize that um, I think a lot of foreigners living all across the world, I think there's often a lot of effort that has to be uh, you know, done on their part in order to you know, understand the norms of society. And oftentimes, most people can't do all of that. So I think that's where all of this, um, this divide comes into play. But it's also like... I'm really struggling with this whole topic of integration because sometimes I see that there are people who have, you know, uh, lived here long enough, have contributed, but all it takes is uh, some random incident to demonize them in a light. And in other times, all it takes is one TikTok video and then everybody will scream, one of us. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have seen that recent TikTok of a Polish lady who... Um, was uh you know uh, speaking singlish and within 30 seconds everybody was saying oh you're one of us and stuff so i find that you know social validation from online um uh, not indicative of whether someone is integrated or not you know so it's just like so what are the rules i, I don't get it so I, I don't know so you see this is an interesting point you make because someone saw that and they accepted them because they saw a little piece of you know people generally want to see themselves in other people mm -hmm. so this is why i feel that integration is not a one-way street other people have to be receptive to new changes because let's say we talk about refugees these people come with they don't speak the language they put their kids in school and they try to survive their priority is not high tier jobs or like a good good climate they literally need to survive in a new country and everyone else around them is trying to give them uh, a way to live to help them and it's yes refugees i'm giving this is a very radical example but i'm just saying that mm, it's just my opinion that it could work both ways as well i'm not sure anymore um, the last two years have shown um 
you know, a surge in uh, xenophobia, nationalism, not just in Singapore, uh, of course, everywhere across the world. And, you know, speaking on the topic and speaking on the topic of like the local foreigner divide that we're seeing, like what is, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Maria, especially as, you know, uh, someone who has lived in Singapore, someone who um, in everything but name can be considered Singaporean. Um, what are your thoughts on what's been going on recently? Well, I feel, still feel it's very heavy upon appearance, unfortunately. Whether you like it or not, people are still going to have an idea. You know, we like to have, like what you said, patterns, right, in the society, and we like to segment people naturally. And it's, it boils down, like, to, let's say, if I, what if I have plastic sur surgery, you know? How, can, how much can the immigration recognize me then? How... How much are we trying to find out about, you know, talk to the person and find out exactly what they are? Because I've, it's so difficult these days because the lines are blurring more and more between where you're from, where you feel home, where your parents are from. And you could be a Thai lady growing up in South Africa and then you, you're based in Canada and then you grew up, you studied in Singapore, you know, and all, all that. But you only find out all these when you talk to a person, when you reach out. And actually, tropical countries are much easier to talk to people. If we, you live in a cold country, you cannot have the small water cooler conversation. Interesting. <laughs> I think I'd like to add that. something. So, like, uh, there are some older people here as well. They, they, they just think that Chinese, because you're Chinese, right, you naturally be able to speak Mandarin. But the fact is, some people have... Although they are racist, they are Chinese, they have never spoken a word of Mandarin. Then the, the aunties and uncles will be like, huh? What the hell? You know, like right. they cannot compute. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think uh, any anyone who is seen to be outside of, let's say, accepted boundaries would be like, wait, what? No, they're, they're clearly breaking some social rule. And therefore, you know, that judgment comes in. Yeah, it's how do, how do we deal with it? Um, I've, I've taken an interest in this topic mostly because, um, as you know, uh, you know, uh, there has been a strong um, criticism of the presence of uh, Indian citizens living in Singapore. And as an Indian citizen myself, I think I have been watching this with a fair bit of, uh, I'll be honest, fear. Um, so I've been trying to understand, like, you know, where all of this is coming from. And on the one hand, I do understand a lot of the conversations around, you know, the loss of jobs, the the increasing, uh, you know, costs of living, housing and affordability. These are huge, huge factors when it comes to whether a person feels at home in their own country. And I can completely understand and empathize. But at the same time, I'm also sensing a certain um, stereotyping, you know, going on with respect to the hate. So... And I'm just curious if that is something that all foreigners here are living in Singapore, or is it just me as you know an Indian citizen? So actually, can I, sir, can I, can you answer this? Because at the top of my head, I actually have to say this is not only I. I feel that it happened to a couple of my Russian friends as well. Right. Something about like taxi. This is very funny. Like the guy would actually arrive to the block. And he sees that I'm standing there and I like put my hand out and he knows it's me. He just turns around and he rides, drives away. Wow. And then, and on the street, if you are like standing and there's like a local family that's flagging, he just completely misses me. He sees me, but he goes to the one further, which is like a local family. 
and this didn't just happen to me it happened a couple of times with my russian friends and they were like did you also have that experience and i'm like yes i did wow <laughs> um, okay so apartments as well it's really hard to find homes uh for me the real estate was a pain in the <clears throat> yeah it was not easy to find homes because of the way they look at you they ask you to do they give you a questionnaire like where where do you work what pass are you holding how old are you where is where are you from um what job what tier like they would just ask you and i was like great and you have to answer me where how many years experience is your uh real estate uh, experience uh, why is the room available and all that i asked them what is your nric number they were like why are you asking me i'm like why are you asking me that like you think it's okay <laughs> to ask me that i i mean it's like if you want to find out meet me don't ask me with this questionnaire and what race i am <laughs> yeah no <laughs> i no i understand completely this is something that i battle with also um and i think like poof acceptance rates are like 9% for me or something you know it's 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 a bit sucky and i think one of the unfortunate things about singapore is that uh, the rental markets are not regulated so it's it's all well and good to talk about like in ethnic housing quotas and stuff but that only applies to singaporeans and there is nothing in terms of rent in the private market so what do you do um oh gosh you know i i oh, that's a, that's a tough experience maria like <laughs> that's something that no one should no, go through right <laughs> it's an experience it's a, it's fine uh, i am experiencing new things in bangkok as well and i i'm growing and i realize that there are many issues everywhere mm-hmm. people are just people yeah no for sure so yeah no that's that's a fair point um i i wanted to talk a little bit about um you know uh covid and how it has changed things for you Well, COVID has allowed me to school myself. I took an MBA while I was working, which was a very crazy experience. I was, yeah, it was really cool that I also started writing um like I was a very it was very productive for me. I started writing about belonging. Um and then I also realized that people are because I moved countries and I realized how different people do not talk about COVID here at all. They are, they are just we don't talk about COVID and uh because there's just so many things happening on a daily basis that it's just not like one of our friend has said you know uh people are so self absorbed in in 2009 when um the Ch- the war with chechnya 10 year war with chechnya and sri lankan war had come to an end people were talking about swine flu nobody noticed the war has come to an end this is what our friend has said and it's true people were absorbed they were scared not to die there was swine flu but how many men we have lost in the che- chechnya war all the young men and when i was born my class didn't have many boys in it because most of the young people were not having children and men you know a lot of we lost a lot of men and many women went to georgia or turkey to find husbands okay wow and so i'm saying that covid is is covid and it's unfortunate but I have experienced a different side of it being here. Um people do not talk much about it. Okay. And also my algorithm changed <laughs> when I was flying. <laughs> I was looking at this specific app where the news app that we all use, the same article was actually different it was rephrased differently when I landed in the new country in Bangkok. The same article was phrased differently. The angle was different. Interesting. <laughs> I, I totally did I not expect that. 
<laughs> everybody's favorite news app. Uh, no, I'm curious about like you know the COVID experience because it has kind of exacerbated a lot of the anger and resentment that you know local Singaporeans have felt towards the presence of foreigners. Um, have you felt that change uh, between, let's say, 2019 and 2020? I feel like it was like a rolling uh, a rolling ball that just kind of, it was the peak of people's frustrations. And I honestly feel very um, empathetic with my friends who are in Singapore. And I talk to them very often. And they are stressed. And they are, it's really, the rules are really strict. And that is how it has to be because it's a very small, tight society. And of course, um, people are trying to comply and it is, it could be a side effect, you know, but the good side effect that I saw with COVID in Singapore is I like that my local friends are moving out of their family homes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like do your own laundry. <laughs> Oh, interesting. I have been reading about this because of COVID. I think frustrations within the households are really high and young people just want to move out for privacy and stuff. And I think it's a step in the right direction. But yeah, interesting, interesting point. Um, Shenbang, do you, do you want to pitch in? Yeah, I mean, that, that might anger some Singaporeans because, you know, they have never done laundry before. <laughs> at, least, at least not on their own, you know. <laughs> key life skills yeah um no thanks thanks for that perspective maria um i guess so this is a question that i try to ask uh you know people in general um if you were a policymaker, maria so let's say you are um you are the prime minister of singapore and you're currently um you know uh, right now it's 2021 you are the uh, prime minister of singapore what would you do differently with respect to um you know, assuaging the concerns and anger that people have over the presence of foreigners and integration in general. Hmm. I do not think what Singapore is doing is wrong, though. I think that the government is really smart. To be really honest, they think about every single step. And I have thought about this kind of, you know, the every law that is being incorporated. I feel that it's very well and carefully weighed laid out um, in terms of, well, I mean, Singapore has taken a lot of foreigners, let's put it this way. And it's not like a rubber band and it cannot stretch. It's probably, um, maybe there must be an interest more, um, the way of filtering out who you choose to keep and who you need to lose. Um, I really don't know how to answer this. But I don't see that maybe we may not understand why the rationals behind a lot of things that the government does. But I do think it's a very smart one. And they, they yeah, there are, there are multiple reasons to why they do this. And because I have seen um, how things work in other countries, I am starting to piece it together and see why some things have to be done. Yeah. So I probably, yeah, I cannot answer this, but I, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> uh, I think my, my answer is generally, you know, that Singapore should buy out, um, you know, Batam and Bintan. And that just opens up so much space. And, you know, Indonesia has like 72,000 islands or something. So, you know, what's losing too? 
Um, but maybe you know, Johor can be a calmer part of Singapore. Yeah, but then it's just harder to manage. You know, like just having an island makes it easier. You know, to maintain sovereign control. But um, and look, let's be real. Like Johor is already part of Singapore, right? In more ways than one. So almost. <laughs> um, no, no, but build a hyperloop. <laughs> hyperloop. Yeah, I'm really hoping that that HSR project comes through, even though I understand that, you know, they don't want to continue with it. But more connectivity is always a good thing, especially between Malaysia and Singapore, you know, which, in my opinion, are sister countries. So, um, yeah, that's there. But, you know, that aside, I think there is a larger conversation to be had around immigration policy across the world, as you pointed out, Maria, because every country has to do it differently. Every country does it differently. I mean, you have something like the United Arab Emirates, and I was just checking the stats today, where it's like 90% of the population are not uh, local born. So I think they have their own unique set of issues that maybe Singapore can learn from. At the same time, being super closed, like let's say Japan, would also have its own iterant issues. So like where's the middle ground, I think is something that everybody has to figure out. Um, my honest opinion is that if Singapore could expand its land area, I think that would assuage some of the issues, hence the buying out of Batam and Bintan. But uh, to be realistic, I don't think there is a good answer for that. So yeah. Um, uh, Shanbang, if you were a policymaker, what would you do differently? That's a very big question. Um, I suppose I would allow for exchanges, at least visas, to more countries because I personally feel that Singaporeans themselves are not... Okay, so the thing is that we are always afraid of, oh, Singaporeans running away, right? they're not coming back. But I think that's a symptom of a problem. Uh, we're not looking to treat that. Like, why are we always scared of people running away when... Maybe it's, maybe there's more to the reason why people run away, you know? Uh, if you're not providing good enough jobs, of course people want, don't want to stay. If it's stressful, don't, people don't want to stay. So, what's so bad about people running away, you know? Um... Of course, brain drain is a problem of its own. But I think that it can always... Okay, so, you know, the fact is that Singaporeans were always worried that, oh, yeah, if a foreigner comes in, foreigner is going to steal jobs. And I don't think it's something unique to Singapore, but it's because we are so much more smaller, that kind of voice become louder. Yeah. You might say that, oh, it's just a minority, right? But then we are already so small. Our minority isn't gonna become even smaller, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The the problem I feel is that um, Singaporeans need to have the opportunity to be able to explore more options overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean at, at the same time at the same time other countries can I mean it can be a reciprocal uh, exchange, you know, like you go to my country, I come to your country. But I'm pretty sure back then, maybe 60s, 70s, it's a lot more open. People could immigrate easier. I would say today is a lot harder because you need to have the skill, that's one thing. Then you need to be able to speak the language. Because back then, you hear stories about people migrate and let's say they have family members there. And then they have zero experience with the language but that's okay right then somehow or rather they managed to 
um, they come part of they migrate and then they start learning about the country and then afterwards they become naturalized citizens these days um, you don't hear as much right yeah yeah, but I don't know if uh, immigration was easier back then also, right? I think rules have always been put in place. In fact, I think that the passport situations that we have right now is a fairly modern concept, and that has made things easier. Like, uh, I was reading, like, so let's take the example of Singapore, right? So there has been a lot of rules and controls on immigration, even during colonial times, right? Um, so there was... Uh, I think a more interesting example would be in 1933 when uh, the colonial government uh, banned all immigration from China because the local population was angry that, you know, Chinese people were taking over the, the island. Uh, and then they took a step further by uh, banning all women from China entirely in 1938, you know, to dissuade Chinese people from, uh, you know, having families in the country. So these are things that have existed back then. So uh, I would actually... Uh, disagree with I, I would actually say the opposite of what you said Shan Bang, in that uh, immigration has actually become a lot more easier more accessible and more transparent in a way but uh, yeah I mean uh, COVID of course has changed all of that I mean it's okay it's I would say you still require a higher set of skill level today than way back then um the requirements are different today. Right. And right. for example, let's say you cannot speak the local language, right? Last time, that's fine. Because they, if they really need skill, if you have a certain skill, like say welding, and they don't have enough people to do welding, they don't care if you can't speak. They're just going to have you come on over anyway. Yeah. But this is, you need to be able to speak the language. And that's, I think that's where it's different for Singapore because we don't have... If you can speak English and then you have another skill, I think it's good enough for you to come with them. I mean, provided that there is a need for such a skill here. But for other countries, you can't just say, oh, I know English, you know. you Maybe you need to be fluent in German, French, Spanish. Then they will consider you, you know. And also, the laws are a bit different in their own countries. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they would have to look at all available options in their own local countries before they just go, oh, yeah, okay, you know what? Uh, we need to hire more people. And they might not be from our own country. Yeah. Right. So, uh, Shanbang, as a policymaker, what you want to do is ease the process, right? Uh, make it easier um, for Singaporeans to go to other countries and do jobs there. Uh, perhaps have a free trade agreement with a clause for. Um, a certain list of uh, jobs and I think we can open up to also more countries because I don't think we have much to places like Africa yeah. right okay we're not now exposed to Africa for example yeah I mean it's quite interesting that they say that right because um, I mean as a Singaporean passport holder you do have like what the highest freedom of travel and you know the most access as compared to everybody else as a tourist that's right yeah tourism but okay. then immigration that's a different story right if you are Amer yeah. American you you have the ability to get dual citizenship and then you can also like easily work in so many places 
like without even applying for a work visa. So you see, that's where it's different. Yeah, we right. might have the best passport to travel, but you're not gonna go to say Botswana. Like how many Singaporeans go there? You know, not that it's not a place you shouldn't visit, but it's just you have so many countries you can go to, but you're not gonna go every single one of them in general for most people. Yeah, it's uh, actually, it, it takes a lot for a person to live their life. Even if I told you now that I'm going to give you a scholarship or like um, an awesome deal, it's very unlikely you're going to pack your things and you're going to leave your family and friends behind and go and pursue that life. And that goes not just for Singaporeans, but anyone that is traveling out of their home country. And then you, you, you are, it makes you stronger and you, come with a certain set of, I would say, skills that are non-tangible, but they are survival skills. They, um, it's kind of interesting that not many people, if given the chance, would want to migrate, would want to leave their loved ones behind. So I think it boils down to priorities. Where, where do you want, what do you want for yourself? Do you want to be in the comfort zone or do you want to learn something new? Do you want to learn about culture or interrogate your comfort zone? There's many, it's, it's about priorities, but I'm, I'm grateful that my mom brought me out of Russia and it must have been also hard for her, to be honest. I cannot imagine like uh, if I had a kid now to go somewhere new. Yeah, no. No, I absolutely agree with you. I, I personally generally recommend everyone to at least try living uh, in another country. Um, I think it's always a, a character-building experience. Um, and if, it, if an opportunity like that comes up, I would suggest everyone take it. But also, as you pointed out, Maria, I think it also depends on priorities. Um, and it uh, may not necessarily be a comfort zone, but it's also about, you know, uh, there are certain things that uh, certain people are possibly not interested in. You know, it's like, um, I, I think a good example would be my friends back in India, some of whom have gone on to become, you know, activists and journalists. So it's not like they they don't want to like live overseas. It's just that these things take up so much more time. So, um, yeah, so it's a question of priorities, as you pointed out. But yeah, so thanks. Thanks for that. Um, I Does anyone have any um, other topics that you would like to cover as part of this? Because I think I've pretty much, you know, covered what I needed to talk about and get more insight from you guys. I'm okay. All right. Okay. All right. So uh, if there is nothing else, uh, I'd probably ask you, Maria, to tell us a little bit about your life in uh, Bangkok now. Uh, what are you doing um, and what's going on? Well, I'm doing the same thing I was doing in Singapore, but um, the kind of job, the, there's kind of like different markets now and Singapore is one of them. But I'm also kind of shift to my own business and I'm trying to do that full time. I'm trying to do freelance full time, to be mm -hmm. honest, just um, because of, you know, I, I studied some things and I learned and I, I have something I want to do for the society. So, um I think my life has been pretty interesting because every day something happens in Bangkok. It does not necessarily mean a good thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's in, life is very vibrant here. And uh, if you're ever feeling bored, you can try opening a Thai bank account. 
if you feel like your life has no is boring and is mundane you can open a Thai bank account and you will have hundreds of things to do. <laughs> uh, if you're an immigrant, apparently you cannot make overseas transfers. And I had to take out my Thai bot like a freaking Santa Claus <laughs> and carry it across the soy dog <laughs> and, so that I could put it into the other bank. <laughs> and it was, that was quite, I was calling my friend, like, I'm carrying this. I put them all in the bag. I drew all of them. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> <Because you can't... laughs> it was just like during the Mongolian invasion. <laughs> wow. It's, yeah, some stuff like that. You know, there are things because you actually can do it through an app, but you can't do it because it's not written anywhere. If you're an immigrant, you can't really make these transfers. You either have to come to the bank or you have to withdraw it and go to the branch. It's it. Yeah, and then what else? It's a. Uh, I I love. I think this is a. Uh, Thai people are very warm, and they are warriors. They have never been colonized. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, and actually, yeah. life there is as interesting as I always say. Life, you look at the alphabets of each country. That's how the life there will be. It's always interesting. The alphabets are, you know, it's life is is. Oh right, like the shape of the alphabet. Right. Okay, gotcha. The alphabet, yeah, yeah gotcha. the language. Look at the language. It says everything, even if you can't read it. Okay, interesting. Um, no, I'm, I'm super glad that you know you are finding, uh, you know, your new life in uh, Thailand super interesting. Uh, and once again, I want to thank you for being part of this. Um, uh, Shanbang, as always, uh, you know, until the next podcast yeah, episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for yeah. having me. So, all right, uh, folks, I hope you all enjoyed listening to the episode. And with that, uh, Maria, Shanbang, see you around. And everyone, bye-bye.